0: Allah Ta'ala imam imam everybody. So we reached the end of of al Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um, again he he, he continues to build on what are those things that can undermine uh, the community. Uh, we know that the, the oneness of the Muslim community is a aim. It's an individual obligation upon every Muslim to work towards the unity of the community. Hence, unless it's like extreme situations, it's absolutely for, forbidden to divide the community. Uh, to split the community. Um, that doesn't mean that we don't uh, that we're a monolith, that means that we are, we should be a community that appreciates differences in interpretation, differences in practices, as long as it doesn't clearly and explicitly violate uh, the foundational principles of our religion. There's a number of reasons why people tend to uh, divide the community. First are those who shaitan has deceived them into thinking that they're so pious and that they're so religiously grounded that they have the right to, in the name of religion, uh, split the community. So we would remind them of the story of Sayyidina Harun, who when when his brother Musa left him, and Bani Israel out of ignorance began to build statues. They were deceived by charismatic leadership, Samiri. Samiri was like a very charismatic person. Um, Sayyidina Harun, he could communicate, but he did not have the same communication skills, as same. What does that tell you now about dawah in America? What does that tell you now about engagement? Making sure that we have people who are charismatic, uh, people who understand how to communicate. And then when, of course, Sayyidina Musa came back, he asked him, like, why didn't you stop him? And he said, "Khashitu, I was worried that you would say Farakta, that you divided Bani Israel." Right. this is in the face of something like that's known evil right? it doesn't mean that we don't advise and teach people uh, yeah. but here these people just came out of like tremendous trauma, they had not had a lot of exposure to Islamic education even before they had asked Musa to build them like make idols for us he didn't say you're kuffar out of Islam, he said you're people who need to learn uh, other examples are the Prophet ﷺ who, on Hajj, uh, when people came to him, and these are in, those were in major issues, secondary issues. People came to him and can I do Hajj like this? Can I do Hajj like this? He said, "You can do it. La haraj, la haraj, la haraj. All those ways are acceptable." And as we talked about on Saturday, as one of my teachers used to say, like if somebody just studied the science of qiraat and the great like respect and 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 Arabic language also uh, scholars had in differences, natural differences as well as like serious substantive differences. Uh, They would see that, you know, there's tremendous patience and Rahmah um, with each other as well as respect. So the first tends to be rooted in like ignorance. Um, And oftentimes people want unity in things which we shouldn't. For example, Imalai. You know, that's not something like we can agree on. Um, because that's at the expense of other people. Um, things that are clearly haram. Like, let's all just be together. So like, let's go out club and make it rain. Mm. Like, it's not acceptable. Right? So usually ignorance leads to irra- irrational conservatism, irresponsible liberalism. And, and when that's coupled, isolation, being isolated, uh, that also causes people to tend to reach... Conclusions which aren't really mediated by the community. So, number one is grounded in education, number two is to present, prevent from that being exposed to the broader community the sinners, the saints, everybody. The mm-hmm. Prophet said, He said, like the whole community will never agree on misguidance. So, if you read Saul Alinsky, Rules for Radicals, Ed Chambers, right, organizing talk about the power of mediating institutions, like mediating bodies, right, where they're so broad and they represent such a diversity of people. If you're going to survive in that system, then you have to be somewhere in the middle. Like You can't be on either of the extremes. The, the second reason is that shaitan deceives people by misunderstanding texts. Um, perhaps I, I've even seen like YouTube lectures where people say, like it's when when is it allowed to divide Muslims? We need to be very careful that especially in the age of trump and the age of what's going on between like people who are stuck in fatalism like you know it's whatever happens alhamdulillah like leave it to allah you know there's no need to be active people who um tend to lionize the real existential threats to humanity also is another problem like right? just like give up hope you know there's no way that just and then also um Those who, in the names of those things, justify dividing us, keeping us weak. Um, Perhaps one of the strongest, most misused texts is the hadith found in the Book of Atirmidhi where the Prophet said, my community, the Jews and Christians broke into 72 sects, my community will break into sects. Especially if you're a convert, this hadith is used to always control us because we're so desperate for authenticity as converts and we're so desperate for meaning that will buy anything. And we tend to buy the weirdest message. Because we feel like the weirder it is, the truth, it must be true. Like Samiri. Samiri has the look. He has the style. He probably you know, had a certain type of cool dress on. People followed him. But this hadith is a weak hadith. Uh, and even those who considered it strong said that it's not allowed to use it because it's not as it doesn't reach that level of strength. So one of our teachers uh, from Yemen, he said fi nari ila wrote a poem, you know, be careful of those who use the hadith, everyone's in the fire except one group. That's a problem, it's a, and that's why it's considered hadith mushkil, problematic hadith, because it's going to undo like the unity of our community. The third reason, and there's many that people tend to divide the Muslims and divide our community, is they have utopic expectations about what it means to be a Muslim. So they they project their own spirituality on others. So their private practice becomes a public maxim. So that person prays at night, they they fast in the daytime, they're really super pious, and they don't take into consideration other people's situations, other people's history, other people's emotional health, other people's financial health. So they're projecting now their sense of piety upon other people, whereas as we read and so her jurat, like there was some really ratchet stuff happening in Medina, man. Like backbiting, slandering, calling the Prophet's wife short. And, and, as we meant, mentioned last week, teasing her. He al Qasira used to say, like, she's really short. Um Salama. Radiallahu anha. Who was saying that about her? Were pe- people that prayed fajr? Like people that weren't necessarily evil people, right? But the idea of a religious monolith. And when you comp- Couple culture with this, so there's now a cultural expectation of religious practice, this actually is going to create problems. Whereas the Prophet Sallallahu his community was made of people who were very saintly, people who were somewhere in the middle, then people who may have not like been as adherent. And we mentioned that's why in Surah Fatir Allah says, Allah says the book, the Quran has been left to three types of people. Those who are like really super awesome, those who are in the middle of being super awesome, and those who aren't very awesome. That's really how you translate it, right? Those who have wronged themselves, they're sinners, but still Allah calls them ibadi. Number two, those who they're good and evil are somewhere kind of equal, and then those سَابِكُمْ بِالْخَيْرَاتِ bi Those people who do the best. So the community is by no means a monolith, right? It has people that are, mashallah, extremely awesome, very pious, very adherent, people who are in the middle, people who are struggling. Of course, we wanna encourage people to work on themselves, we wanna encourage people towards spiritual utility and agency without destroying them, without breaking them off. And that's why the Prophet Sallallahu mentioned it before in the Hadith when he made the Sahaba cry and he left them, the Hadith of Tirmidhi also, Sayyidina Jibril came to him and said, go back to them. Allah has ordered you not to leave them like this. Don't leave them giving up. So he came back to them, Sallallahu alaihi wasallam, sallam, and he, he brought like peace and love to their hearts. So, see like sometimes people are deceived. And one of my teachers used to say, you can know that the type of teachings that you're following or the lessons that you're taking, if one of the things that you gain from this is hating people, and specifically hating the Muslims, and understand you haven't learned anything. Like you've been deceived by what you've learned. So it's extremely important we talk about this chapter, surah al-Hujurat, it's really talking about how do you build community? And that's why it deals with like real issues, right? Backbiting, slander, false news, making fun of people, calling people by nicknames, right? It, it addresses the things that have to be dealt with. Uh, in a community in order to scaffold and do other things. So that takes us now alhamdulillah to the last kind of portion of the chapter that also talks about steps to crafting a community. Community is not something that happens inadvertently. Like Muslims I think sometimes we think like one ummah khalas alhamdulillah. No, like I have to work to be part of an ummah. Right? I, I have to invest, you know, in my character and patience in being in a community, right? It's not just that it happens. And, and that's why sometimes we challenge nonprofits in America, mosques, um, institutions. Like, do you have training in um, conflict transformation? Like, are you engaging your community at a level where they now understand like, how conflict can work and be managed? Right, is there an idea of like membership where like you learn certain things before you just become a member of a community? Yeah, you can come pray, alhamdulillah, and worship. But like, if you're gonna participate in the process of the future of the community, and perhaps there are some steps you should take before you engage that process. We're not thinking at that level. And that's why we, we tend, to, every city I go to, there's always two mosques, right? Or three, so it's like, yeah, first there was this one mosque, it was built by some uncles, you know, in the 60s and 70s. And then there was this big fight, and then there was a new mosque that was built, and then they got in a fight, and then there's another mosque that was built. And now we're seeing millennials and Generation X are saying, you know, we need to build our own mosque. So it's not stopping, right? It just keeps replicating. And then Generation Y will get mad at us and create, you know, Generation Y mischief. We must ask why, right? So I would suggest that you, as you leave think about how you can engage a community and talk to them about what are the skills necessary to be like a good Ummati of Muhammad. This is really what this chapter talks about at an individual level. So Allah Subh'anaHu Wa ta'ala says, أَعُوذُ O you who believed, The word, is one of the words, our scholars in usul say fiqh, that means something is haram. Ijtanib. Because it means to leave immediately. Uh, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he said, وَمَا uh, عَنْهُ right? Whatever I told you to stay away from, leave it immediately. It's one of the foundational principles of our law. يَعَنِي الْحُرْمِ right? That like our, our fundamental relationship with something that's forbidden is to avoid it. So when he says Ijtanibu That means إِنَّ اللَّهَ حَرَّمَ عَلَيْكُمْ It means Allah has prohibited for you this thing. The word ishtinab is used because not only does it imply the actual act but also what's called saddu It also implies avoiding the things that may trigger the action. So now we can think about it from a healthcare perspective, emotional care, psychological care that the prohibitions of Islam. We have what's called muharramat al-wasail and muharramat al-dhati. Things that are haram in themselves like drinking alcohol, right? And then what's called haramat al-wasail, things that aren't haram, but may lead to haram. So depending, depending on the person, al-wasail could also become forbidden. So for example, if I'm, I, I'm somebody that has a history of alcohol addiction, okay, may Allah bless us inshallah and help us and our family members and all we love. And then I get invited to the Christmas party. And I know there's going to be a lot of alcohol there. So I go to the sheikh, or I go to my parents, or my spouse, or whoever, I'm saying, you know, um, hey, like, because I do believe when you ask for religious guidance, you should also consult your family members. So you ask the sheikh, the sheikh tells you haram, halal, maybe the sheikh says, yes, so hey, go ahead, it's no problem, right, just go to the Christmas party. Then I go home to my wife, and she's like, well, you know, baby, you have this history of alcohol addiction and maybe like it's not good for you. So it's always important when it comes to social issues, cultural issues. Not only do you talk to the sheikh, the sheikh's gonna give you the ruling, right? Islamic guidance, but also you talk to people who know you. The sheikh doesn't know you. Doesn't know like your history. Maybe we didn't tell him everything or tell her everything. But muḥarramat al-wasā'il are those things that are initially halal, but maybe depending on the context of the person became forbidden. So for example, in Mecca when the Prophet ﷺ said, In Mecca he said, you know, don't visit the graves. Is visiting the graves Haram? No. But What do people used to do with their dead? They used to worship them. So because those people are like new Muslims, that may be a trigger to take them back to what they used to do. But then in Medina, go ahead, visit the graves, no problem. Because, like, they've educated themselves. There's some very profound, uh, when we talk about Islamic sharia uh, guidance, that it usually takes into consideration the triggers and the act. The triggers are called al-wasa'il, asbab, things that may cause me to fall into this issue. And then what's called muharramat al-dhati. Now the questions are going to come, can you go to that party? It's makroom. Right, it's my crew. And and, and disliked usually is, in the Maliki's we say, something disliked becomes permissible if you have a need. Some people ask me, like, I have to go to this thing because of like networking, or I need to speak to colleagues in an environment where we can talk about things in a different way. Jay is, it's allowed, unless someone has like a history of like issues or problems. See that? So it's, it's profound. Unfortunately, dictatorships have gone buck wild with this and made a lot of things that were halal, haram to protect themselves. So, for example, women can't vote. Why can't women vote? Because, you know, if people go to vote, they may like <coughs> lose their minds at the voting booth. I've never heard of anyone like having a tender moment at the voting booth, okay? <laughs> Obviously, that's far-fetched nonsense. Another example is like women driving. Women can't drive, why? Because if they drive, it's gonna like destroy the world. So when we talk about Muharramat al wasail, there's a number of principles. Number one, it has to be based on certainty, not assumption. So the assumption that women driving, the assumption that women voting the assumption that youth gathering in Egypt, like, you can't play soccer anymore. Why? Because if all you guys gather, you're going to join the Brotherhood and you're going to take over our government with a soccer ball? And with a soccer ball and some some cleats, man? The government must be weak. Right? This has been misused by, unfortunately, dictators and other people. They clamp down. And in France, with niqab and hijab. Now, if you want to look at it, the argument could be from Muhammad, even though, of course, they're not looking at it. Although a good 20 to 30 percent of French laws based on the Maliki madhat, that's a different discussion. point is these things are usually personal calls but al الوسائل. So Allah says kathira min al zanni." stay away from suspicion and things that may trigger suspicion trigger suspicion. That falls under two, two situations. The person like Wow, why isn't Khalid here today? Hmm, Khalid doesn't like me. Right? That's one. Then, number two is, you know, when the Prophet wa sallam, was walking late at night one time with his wife, and people saw him, and they said, Assalamu alaikum, Ya Rasulullah. He said, Wa alaikum, salam, this is my wife. To dispel from their hearts, like, any bad assumptions of the Prophet. So, it falls into two situations, right? The person who's like, calibrating suspicion in their heart, and then secondly, the person who may be doing things that could cause people to be suspicious, right? We should try to be responsible for both. The word in Arabic uh, means that there's two probabilities, and I'm not able to make Like, I'm not able to say which one is right, which one is wrong. One is good, one is bad. So the example, Khalid's not here today. Right? And then I could say, Wow, Khalid's not here because he doesn't like me. Or I could say, Wow, Khalid's not here because he's like taking care of Kareem and like spending time with his wife. So both of those are called dhun. As a believer, I'm supposed to choose the best option. Yes, sir. How does this apply with kind of context of sexual misconduct allegations, stories that you hear? I mean, that's different because you have people coming out saying, multiple people saying they've had these experiences, right? You have some evidence as well. Mm -hmm. Well, With one is happening, I don't have any clear-cut evidence, right? I I do think um, you know, in this situation that you're talking about, you have, if if I'm assuming. No, I mean mean broadly, I don't necessarily mean Specific but like I Maybe, think often people are like we we should assume the best of this person. We shouldn't just pass judgment, you know. It's often, so you have issues that like are, are legal issues, right? Mm-hmm. Things that are going to go to court. I think we have to ride with like, in general, kind uh, of the court process, right? Uh, when it comes to lapses in ethics, like at the end of the day, no one can make a decision for you on these issues. That that's one of the challenges that we face. Is like we're expecting. One body or one group of people tells how we should think about something. You look at it, you look at the evidence, and you make a rational decision, not an emotional decision. And then that's fine. So someone looks at, say, certain evidence, right? And they feel like, you know what? It looks like there was some abuse of power here. Okay. It's like nothing in the world. And then the other person looks at it and they're like, you know, I don't, I'm not convinced. Okay. Neither of you are going to go to hell. The one gonna to go to hell is the one who, you know, that did something evil and hasn't repented and turned back to Allah. But at the end of the day, expecting leadership to make an ethical decision for us is one of our problems as a community. No one should have to teach me how to think properly. If I see something wrong, then I believe it's wrong. Then I believe it's wrong, khalas. <laughs> yes sir, yeah, I thought he had his hand up. So, you look at the evidence, you make a decision. Because it's important. People coming out and saying that they had been abused. You have to listen to that. And, and the other thing is our community just does not have a process in place to look into these things, as I guess kind of the rest of America does. not um, When I was in, in Boston, we actually brought in someone and created documents to help people protect themselves and file reports. If anything happened, we had some problems in the community. We had to prove it. We had to investigate it. But Dhan is a little different. Von, I don't have anything. I'm just, just, I'm just assuming, like, you know. Why isn't khala here? So it's kind of different. That's more of a claim. Dhan, I don't have anything to really back it up. So it's an assumption, understand? So he says, kathira <laughs> Said so, because usually sin is evil, uh, assumption is sinful. But that's not really what the verse means. It means usually assumptions could lead to sinful behavior. Right? It's called majaz in Arabic. You mention the cause, but you mean the outcome. Some sin, some uh, suspicion is, is sin, not all. Sometimes uh, we, we are encouraged. For example, in the science of fiqh, we say, Al fiqh uh, min bad bi Right? The science of fiqh is based primarily on presumptions of a scholar. Like, what's, what's the ruling for this? What's the ruling for that? What's the ruling for this? That kind of presumption is acceptable. But most, when it comes to personal issues, if we're not careful, and that's why the Prophet said, And let's keep it practical because your question is kind of at a meta level, right? Bad assumptions really impact the micro more. Husband and wife, kids, parents, teachers, students, you know, uh, uh, friends. A lot of relationships are broken down because people have like bad assumptions of one another, whereas they should have good assumptions. I'll give an example. So when I, I converted to Islam. Um, I, I, back in those days, like, wasn't like how to pray videos, man. So just kind of watched how people prayed. So I like didn't realize I was praying like three different ways. I didn't know <laughs> I watched people pray. Like I didn't know there's different ways to pray. So and then I started to, to study, and I had a classmate who told me he's like, man, I thought you were some arrogant white guy, man. I was like, why? He was like, cause like you pray like everybody. Like you thought, oh, cause I'm white, like I can use my white privilege and pray like everybody. And I was like, no, I just don't pray, dude. Like, <laughs> this is like meta evil narrative of yours, man. <laughs> right? That's an example of like that impacts people, and and we need to understand that the white American project is primarily about creating negative assumptions about people of uh, people of color, in particular, women, and people who don't fit a certain mold. So those constructions definitely are embedded in us. We have to be very, very careful how we see people and the assumptions that we come to when we see people. Because that could be rooted in suul That's why the scholars of Hadith, I mentioned before, when they would come across someone who's majhool al-Hal, who is really unknown, they would say, this person's unknown, so that doesn't allow that person to be taken as a Rawi, as a narrator, but we consider them sahih, because we have to like assume everybody's good. We don't take hadith from them because of not knowing who they are, but the assumption is that they're good people, because the prophet said, "Kullu bani Adam ala Everybody is born good. Sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So, إجتنبوا كثيراً من So stay away from suspicion. Suspicion. وَلَا uh, تَجَسَسُ He says, اشْتَرِبُ means to spy. Uh, a jesus is a spy. Tajassus means that I get involved in things that were kept away from me that, that aren't impacting me. Not impacting my life directly, not based on an assumption. And that's why the Prophet forbids us to like, listen to conversations that don't pertain to us. Prophet said, whoever tries to follow the evil of people, Allah will expose their evil. So there's like a general rule. Unless it's impacting people and harming people, we should avoid dipping, as we used to say in Oklahoma, dipping into people's business. Right? And that's why Sayyidina Omar, one time he came to Sayyidina Ali, radiallahu anhuma, and Sayyidina Ali was a qadi so he said to Sayyidina Ali like I I saw people doing something really bad you know and then Sayyidina Ali said how did how did you see this and he said I I was just inadvertently I just looked and I saw into their house and he said if you tell me who they are this is to justice like if you tell me who they are this is considered this because like you look in their house for me? like I didn't mean to, I was just like that, right? How is that to Jesus? So, you know, I get questions like, is it okay to look at my wife's phone or my husband's phone without their permission? This is to Jesus, man. And, and le- unless there's like a real reason, right? And, unless there's something concrete, not assumption, not suspicions, not insecurities, right? If my husband comes home and he smells like alcohol and cigars. And I'm like, where have you been? He's like, I was at the Ibn Arab- Arabi Zawiyah. <laughs> maybe, like maybe there's a reason for concern. Right? Like, that's a very real issue. And there you, may, you, you have the right to look into the situation because it's your children, it's your family, it's your honor, your dignity, and vice versa. But for no reason except an insecurity, right? For no reason except some kind of issue I open up my roommate's computer to see what they're doing. I let the justice in, And it leads to a lot of problems. And sometimes parents, I say, you know, if you can learn how to trust as much as you can learn how to distrust, you will be a great parent, you know? Give people space also sometimes to make mistakes. But the justice means to like, look into things that there's nothing at a state level, this is why the Orwellian state Islamically is haram. Right. Now with Alexa, like we've domesticated surveillance. Google Home. Right? Concern. I have Alexa in my house. We talk, I taught her surah I al mean, I did on Snapchat before, but like I to justice. Yes sir. What are the spiritual benefits of protecting your privacy? What do you mean? I, I don't know, just in this age of surveillance, I just feel like a lot of people are compromising their privacy. Because when we when we when we when we go into people's private lives, we may normalize what is not normal behaviour. Right? So what happens behind closed doors is what happens behind closed doors. But when we make what happens behind closed doors like socially normal, we may we may push ourselves to be Like, what if you spy on like a wali of Allah? And it's like, you know, I fast every day, I pray all night, I never got married, I don't, you know, I just stay home all day and make zikr. That becomes a social norm, like how many of us can live that way? It's it's, like, it's gonna throw us off balance. Or the other end, someone's like, you know, smoking a bong a wisha every night, after they go to the dispensary, and then like, you know, doing all kind of haram and crazy ratchetness. You also want to normalize that. So when we look at people's private lives, there's wisdom behind that, right? That we don't want to normalize behavior, which like, masses of people can't really adhere to. And then also, kullu ma whatever Allah has hidden should stay hidden, you know. Um, so that's also. But most, most importantly is like state control. You know, people. I mean, I lived in Egypt. I'm never going back, so I guess I can say this now. <laughs> but I, I actually remember people in Egypt, when they would say, Husni Mubarak, like they will whisper. Like, you'll be out in the street, and they'll be like, blah, 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 blah. Egyptians, mashallah, are very loud people. And they'll say, la, 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 la. "la ra you're like, what? Mubarak, You know, and then you're like, man, you like, whisper his name. Right, people were worried. I remember in one Muslim country I was in, there was a guy reading the newspaper at the bus stop. So I was trying to just like read the paper, you know what I mean, it's like, and, um, and then I forgot about how I look, you know? So I was like, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, exactly. He basically racially profiled me, man. And uh, he, he began to look at me and then he said to me like, you know, I, I wasn't like I wasn't reading something ma'arada. How do you try to say ma'arada? Like you know, the opposition. I'm not from the opposition. They're like la la, yani, I'm just here to study. Like he was really, really worried that I like was gonna like report him to somebody. You over emphasize people's private lives being this. The, the, Subjected to surveillance, you also take them from the reality that Allah is surveilling everything. <inaudible> Nothing escapes Allah. <inaudible> so they begin to give the state qualities that should only belong to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So a lot of challenges, and also I'm sure we have people who are much more brilliant in politics and law than me. Like you create the imbalance of power, people become suspects. Or, or subject to like dictatorships, harmful. Allah says, "Wala and ta usually is rooted in an assumption, a bad assumption. "Wala and don't slander each other. غِبًا. right? Backbiting. Backbiting means to speak ill of someone in their absence. So, "Yuhibbu an yakul ahihi Allah said, would you love to eat the flesh of your dead brother or sister? Because basically, you're backbiting them in their absence, so it's like they're dead. Would you? Like, you would hate that. So three, three things are mentioned. Suspicion, right? Spying on people, dipping into people's, you know, being nosy. And then third, backbiting. There are, there are some exceptions to the rule for all these, but we'll only mention those for backbiting. It's not really backbiting, now we can say it's called Ikhbar, like when, do you, when, do you, when, when are you allowed to talk about someone? So, when you're trying to hire somebody, you know, in the, in the workplace, and you need to know this person is credible or not. So you ask people for references. You're not allowed to say like, "Mashallah, Rajul Salih, Alhamdulillah, pious person, excellent, MashaAllah, la bas. No, you have to say like, are they really qualified for the job or not? Number two is, a lot of interesting things going on. It's a a Hanukkah, man, it's the Hanukkah truck. It's pretty cool. And then, number two is a marriage. Family issues and social issues in general. So like, maybe someone calls you and they say, hey, you know, I know you know such and such person, and they're asking about my friend's brother or sister. What do you know of this person? But there's a rule that says you should only say like what's needed to establish whether they're like acceptable, whether they're good, whether they're bad. You don't just like go all in. <laughs> like totally destroy the person. Right? But you say what needs to be said. In front of a mufti, it's allowed basically to say. So when Hind uh, comes to the Prophet, and she's complaining about Abu Sufyan. And she's saying, you know, he's he's... Yeah, I mean, he's like, uh, he's worse than a miser. He yeah, sure. has It's like a bad thing to say about somebody's husband, man. But the Prophet doesn't tell her like, oh my God, like how could you say that about your husband and stuff azim Right, so if someone's being physically abused, sexually abused, emotionally abused, in those situations, there's no backbone. When we're sitting with clinicians, like healthcare providers, uh, and we're asked questions you know, about our health, about situations in our lives. There's no backbiting in those situations. So in general, those kind of things. Right, public, the benefit of the public is at stake, someone's personal health is at stake, their emotional and mental health is at stake, or other people may be harmed. And that's the last is like, being able to tell people in authority Someone's doing something that's really wrong, so like law enforcement, for example, none of that falls under libah. None of that falls under غيبة. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, اللَّهَ اللَّهَ Then be dutiful to Allah, establish His obedience. Allah is tawwab. Tawwab is the one who, like, forgives always, right? The one who always forgives. So if you come to Him, if you repent to Him, talked about it before. We, we mentioned what the word Rahim means in Surah fatiha The next verse was sent because the Prophet, وسلم, when he conquered Mecca with his Sahaba, he wanted to make a statement about social justice and equality. So he asked Sayyidina Bilal to make the Adhan. Sayyidina Bilal, he made the Adhan on top of the Kaaba. The Prophet told him, go on top of the Kaaba and make the Adhan. Also Abdullah bin Ummatum, Maktoum, the blind man, another situation also made the adhan. Like subhanAllah, you know the foundations of our deen, the call to salah, was led by a person of color and a person with a disability. Allahu Akbar. But Sayyidina Muhammad, وسلم, when he did he did that, like Abu Sufyan and all these other people got upset. And they said, like, how can a black man stand on top of the Kaaba? make adhan? How can a blind man stand on top of the Kaaba? and you add them as-salah? Allah said this verse, Ya Ayuhal-Nas, O Humanity, Inna khalaqanakum min zhakarin wa umtha. We made you from a male and a female. shu'uban wa qabaila. And we made you in the nations and tribes. Lita'arafu. So you can get to know one another. Ta'aruf is a word which means duality and responsibility. So, after 9-11, the, the message of like, you know, America needs to learn about Islam. No, no, we need to learn about each other. This is Ta'aruf. Marifa is I learn. Ta'aruf, we both learn. And there's something profound. So, usually, We tend to think of it like, I'm blaming someone, I'm free of any responsibility, but if I see something wrong, I now also share in the process. So opportunities for ta'aruf should take place. That's why like one-on-ones in communities where we have like, like here, there should be like a one-on-one system for our students where like you go out with lunch with someone or have coffee with someone, like you talk, or people who come to this haraka, there's opportunities where you actually hear personal narratives. Personal narratives are powerful, man. You hear people's stories. You hear people what what they've gone through. Right? And that that carries over with you through your life. So you may encounter similar situations. You're able to tie that into this personal narrative that you heard from somebody. And then you become empathetic. Become like that change maker. So Allah said, you know, We created you not to hate each other. We created you so that you can get to know about you. We talked about what ma'rifah what means, right? To really invest in knowing people through experiences and through learning their history. Inna akramakum, indallahi atqaakum. The most honest and pious, uh, the, the most honorable of all of you is the one who has taqwa. And the only one who knows taqwa is Allah. And, and we, we need to be very careful of the idea of tasawwuf or Sufism. Where we, we praise the leaders of the tariqah in ways that they should not be praised. Like mashallah and my sheikh is like such a wali of Allah. You can't say that. That's what gets us in trouble, right? Every single one of us have a heart, have kidneys inshallah, have a liver, right? Wear glasses when we read too much, right? All those things remind us that we're on equal footing. I respect people and I I respect them because they've earned my respect. But taqwa, that's why you cannot find one hadith where the prophet says that person has taqwa. That person has taqwa. Because Allah says "Who a'lamu bi Allah knows who has taqwa. So what does that mean? Imam Al-Tahawi says wal mu'minun kulluhum awliya rahman He says in his book and all the believers are walis of Allah. All the believers of people of taqwa, So I just assume, MashaAllah, everybody is the same. Al Hassan al-Basri used to say, I will not leave a room until I feel I'm the one in most need of Allah's Rahmah. Out of everybody in the room. Even though, MashaAllah, man, Sayyidina Hassan al-Basri is like one of the great, great scholars. And the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, "Inna أَكُرَمَكُمْ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ أتقاكم. The most honorable of you are those who have taqwa. That doesn't mean like if you have a sheikh and a tariqah or a guide, no problem, alhamdulillah. But don't praise these people too much. And don't put these people in a place where the sahaba didn't put the Prophet sallallahu Because that leads to problems. Wallahi azim. And people should also not want that. You know, my, my teacher used to tell me, um, I feel like we should like, go down there and join me. <laughs> I feel like we're missing out. Um, he used to tell me that you know, if you find people who want you to respect them because of their religion, you should be careful. You know who I am, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know. That's a problem. Imam Ibrahim Ibn Adham said the greatest day of my life he was like the Imam of his time was when I went to a mosque to pray and the janitor didn't know me and threw me out of the mosque. <laughs> I said that was the best opportunity to like work on my soul. You know, to be, be humble. And it can affect that person's private life. Like if we praise people too much and then, you know, they go home and their kids are like, I hate you, dad. Or, I hate you, mom. And they used to people praising them all the time. That creates a problem. Now, don't go to people and tell them you hate them. <laughs> I'm saying, like, we should be normal. <laughs> when Sayyidina Umar, the woman corrected him in Juma, which is authentic, by the way, according to Al Khattabi, you know, he didn't, like, get upset. He's like, okay, it's cool. I made a mistake. <laughs> Nobody said to her, like, oh my God, like, I can't believe you just corrected him. Like, you're going to go to hell. I hate you. Stuff allows him. It was all gravy, like that was normal. That's a sign of a healthy community. It can have mature conversations with leadership. It doesn't dismiss leadership in the name of piety and the responsibilities of leadership. Nor does it dismiss them in the name of they're all corrupted and evil. It demands responsibility. It's very healthy. It's a sign of a great community. So Allah says, Inna Look, Sayyidina Bilal, Sayyidina Suhaib, this blind man, it doesn't matter. Piety is with God and God knows who's pious. Here we learn something because I told you that on the day that the prophet conquered Mecca, he left the Kaaba built on the wrong foundations. So when it comes to that, he he doesn't make a big deal about it. But When it comes to issues of racial equality, he makes a big deal about it. What does that tell you about the prophet? Why did he do that? I'm asking you this question. So when he came into Mecca, and he said to say to Aisha, if it wasn't that your people had just become Muslim, Sahih Muslim and the Muatab I will order the Kaaba to be destroyed and rebuilt on the foundations of Abraham. But they just became Muslim, so it's all right. But when he sees them getting upset about people of color leading the prayer, right, and a blind man uh, calling to prayer, he reacts, makes an issue out of it. He, re- he reacts institutionally. Okay, you guys are mad about it. Go on top of the cabin and do it. Why did he do that? He's investing in the people. Right. What good are relics if you don't have good people around them? So, what do you mean by he's investing in the people? Like, um, he's investing in their mindset and their thought processes as opposed to like the he, he gets the bigger picture, right? Yeah. Excellent. What else? Yes, sir. It's concerned about the rights of the people and the plight of the disenfranchised and the ones who might be subject to being undermined in society systemically? Yeah, Luther Vandross, if you know who that is, probably don't, it's probably a good thing. <laughs> he, he has a song called A House Is Not A Home. <laughs> right? A masjid is not a masjid. What he meant is, like, if a house doesn't have love in it, then it's not a home. Right? So if a place of worship doesn't respect people and love people it's not a masjid. If an institutional religion is not able to like look after people, give them a sense of value, I don't care what you call it. So a house is not a home, a masjid is not a mosque, an ummah is not an ummah. If it can't you know address this problem so it puts people first now, if we look at how most massaged Iran, are we putting people first? Right? And this is not to create a, I think much as by the, are you doing a great job? It's not easy. Right? It's not easy. You know, I, I was really upset after what happened here a few weeks ago. I heard some people, even Muslims in government saying like, you know, all these mosques in New York are just ran by extremists and crazy people. Like, get out. that's not true. Right? Mosque in New York, Uh, tend to be somewhat more old school because our population, people coming to New York are old school, but you have like Muslims giving back, I mean you have a lot of work happening in New York City, you have poor people being fed food every Wednesday night, Wednesday here, lunch, powerful student organizations, you know, uh, the Masjid in Harlem, Imam Siraj's. I mean, but also a lot of us have had experiences in certain communities where we felt like the institution and the building were put before people. And the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam wants to say, people, right, before relics, people before the immaterial. It's very powerful, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Anyone else have a thought on this before we jump to the next verse? But remember that when it comes to the Kaaba, Saul gravy whatever, when it comes to racial stratification, he's not quiet. He speaks up, and he uses his privilege to empower people. We have to be, have to be obvious; like he's a prophet, everybody listens to him. So he uses that. I mean, if you think about it, like why didn't he go on the Calvinic as i like, you won the battle, man. This is all about you. He divorces himself from the situation and realizes how he can be a good ally to people. It's so a lot to take from this verse, man, and this chapter in particular. After that, we go back to an interesting incident. It's very similar to the one that happened early on. Allah says, There was a tribe outside of Medina called Banu Asid. Like Asid, acid. A C I D. But they were acid like a lion. But man, they were acid for real. They were tough, man. They did not play around. And and they they accepted Islam late in the Medina period. So they came to Medina and demanded a lot of money because they became Muslim. Again, man, when when we appreciate like what the Prophet dealt with, it wasn't all like fun. Like it wasn't all like, oh yeah, awesome, alhamdulillah. So Hujra just came. Let's all go to Jannah, okay. There were like really serious challenges. That's life. No one knew there'd be like Yiddish blasting in our lecture today. <laughs> the Prophet says, they came to him and they said, Amen. Amen, Like we believe. And the reason they were saying they were believing is they wanted to complain. Like, how come we didn't get a lot of money like other people after these battles? And, then, and they were saying it to say like, you know, we believe, and our belief is like a gift to you. Like you're lucky we believe, man. So hook it up. So when they said that to Sayyidina Muhammad, wasalam, Allah said, al Arab al are Bedouins. A'raba means to move. A'raba to The moving vehicle is called A'raba to Arabic is called Arabiya because it moves. So the Arabs are those people that used to move from one place to another. They say, we believe. Allah says, say to them, Qul lam Say that you don't believe. But say that you've submitted in Islam. Does this verse mean they're kufar? <laughs> like, we talked about interpretation. Like, if you interpret this verse literally, what does it mean? <laughs> like you don't believe. So if you don't believe, then what are you? You're like a disbeliever. So here's a verse that scholars had to interpret, because obviously they're not disbelievers, but there's a problem with their iman. So Imam al Tabri, he said, These people had not been Muslim enough. To bring into balance their words and their deeds, their words are more than their deeds, right? So when it says "leb tu means "bi'ahmerikum," like you, the the actions that you've done so far, right, are not in concordance with what you say you do. Lima ma la ta'falun," and also we learn something about. Dawa. I'm worried. You know, I'm old, getting older, so I guess I can start to assume, put these glasses like this. <laughs> An old man's position, but I worry about Dawah where it's just like, I'm awesome, look at me. Like, you know why you should follow me? Because I'm Suhaib. Like, today I woke up and I was Suhaib. <laughs> I went to sleep tonight and I'm Suhaib. It's, it's, it's concerning. Whereas Allah says, Udu'u ila sabili, call to Allah. You know, like call people to the greater things. So here we learn something. Amana, like we believe. No, don't boast, man. Don't get it twisted. So Allah rebukes them and says, Lakin qulu aslamna. Say you've submitted. So submission, so that's why Tabari says, Amana, tu'minu bi Like your actions don't show you as believers. But we've submitted in faith by saying, La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah. So we learn something here that faith comes with responsibility. You know, I'm still upset. I haven't seen a mosque yet in America with a Black Lives Matter sign. Why, man? Situation recently in Libya. You know, we have to begin to understand the global enterprise of um, destabilization and harm being wrecked on the world from Palestine to Compton is really rooted in a, a series of, God knows best, like attitudes that are very global. These are global attitudes. Malcolm understood the intersectionality between 116th Street and the Gaza Strip, he knew that. So, our communities, if we separate ourselves from legitimate struggles for justice, right? And our iman is not falling up with our tongues. One girl, she came to me once, and she said, I'm confused, man. I said, why? She said, every time they bring a guest to the university, not here, they always give a speech about Islam and women. Islam raised women, mashallah, we had so many great women scholars, though we don't know any of their names. And, you know, alhamdulillah, blah, 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 blah. And then she says, so after I heard this lecture, I went to join the MSA and they were like, women can't be on the board. I was like, well, I thought Islam raised women. Like, I just heard this lecture about, like, Islam women and now I can't even be involved in, in like, leadership of my community, right? Or the Masjid. That's like al-sinatina bila amalina, right? That's professing Iman, not living Iman. Allah said, Qul lam right? You don't believe, means your actions have not reached the level of the things you say. Qul lam tukminu, aslamna. Because Iman has not complete Iman, Iman has not entered your heart, right? Of course there were believers like La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah, what, what it meant here is like a, a, a higher level of faith. We learn something, like to be invested in people. When well, I hear people tell me, you "No, know, I'm just worried about the young men in our community, like, you know, mashallah, I'm really worried about the young men in our community. And you're like, okay, let's raise money to hire like someone to work with the young men in our community. Oh, no, okay. Like, we weren't a community of talkers. You never see a narration of Sayyidina Adi saying, I'm a believer. Sayyidina Abu Bakr used to say, I think I'm the greatest hypocrite. even though he's not, right? Introspective personality. Say to Aisha when she would narrate that verse from Sultan Fatir in uh, indeed we gave the book to those who are wronging themselves, those who are do good and evil, and those who are the best, she used to say evildoers like me. Like she considered herself from the first group. Right? You haven't believed yet. And that's why honestly, you know. I respect sometimes Muslims who are active and like doing good things and may not necessarily conform to quote-unquote religious or like religiosity as defined by the community. Like if people ask me who's the most pious Muslim in 2017, I'm like Linda Sarsour. I don't know her heart. know the work she does. Sister Ilhan in Minneapolis. Brother Remy like These are people I feel like are out on the front lines. People fighting for like Healthy food options for kids and neighborhoods, like that's, that's prophetic to me. right? And not talking a lot about it. So Allah says, قُلُوبِكُمْ <laughs> Iman has not yet entered your, your heart, meaning your actions haven't equated to what your hearts profess. Your hearts and your actions aren't uh, equal. Wa la min shay'a. Rahim. And then Allah subhanahu wa Ta-A'la discusses the importance of obeying Him, obeying the Prophet in a general way, these are signs of iman. And then Allah subhanahu wa Ta-A'la defines who's the believer in the wa rasuli. Those who believe in God and believe in his messenger. And they don't doubt. What that means is doesn't mean you're not gonna doubt, because doubt doubts are part of life but it means they address those doubts they, they engage they're actively engaged in studying and learning asking questions asking the tough questions right pushing right that weight of their faith and their doubt and they struggle with their souls and with their wealth in the way of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. they struggle in the way of good with personal sacrifice, financial sacrifice, struggle. There's an article that came out, I think a few months ago, 206 million dollars were raised by the Islamophobes. These people struggle. They struggle to make us look really bad. They struggle to portray Islam in a very negative way. People like paid for people to put bumper stickers all over people's cars in Brooklyn that said Dr. Hatim Bazian is a terrorist. What the heck man? We should be, you know, putting bumper stickers and say, Dr. Hatim Bazian a hero. Point is like, it, it, if if people who don't like you are making the sacrifices that are mentioned here, with themselves, with their wealth, with their lives, then you can't expect anything but loss. So he says, amanu They believe in Allah and His Messenger, but they act, they sacrifice. تَطْحِيَة They make efforts. بِأَمْوَالِهِمْ with their wealth وَأَنْفُسِهِمْ and themselves فِي سَبِيلِ الله. in the cause of good in the cause of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala those people, banu Asad, they weren't about sacrificing they wanted to take we learn something also sometimes we complain about institutions we complain about communities but like have we tried to volunteer maybe help bring about change? have we participated in the process? Or are we just like armchair revolutionaries? So here Allah says, right? They struggle. They work hard. Then at the as the as the chapter ends, but there's three or four things we can summarize quickly, the verses. Number one, suspicion, backbiting, spying. Talked about it. Racial, ethnic equality, sense of like a uh, justice level. And then the idea of Fox Piety, you know? Like, I'm a believer, I'm awesome, so I should be treated different than others. Don't make those kind of claims for yourself. Stay humble. Right? That's the song of the year. Stay humble. Keep yourself grounded. And Allah said to Sayyidina Muhammad in the very beginning, وَلَا تَمْنُونَ تَسْتَقْثِيرُ I don't think the the good that you do, I don't think about that. Because good, we talked about this on Thursdays, is a fadl of Allah. Like, that's a blessing Allah gave me. I'm not responsible for the good. Although I have to act on it. But if I'm able to act on that good and calibrate it, Allah. That's a blessing of Allah. Subh'anaHu Wa Ta-A'la. So I don't even own it. I was guided. Then Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta-A'la says, He's talking here to Bana ben, ben Asad. Like, are you trying to teach Allah about his deen? Like we're believers, you know, we're believers, like we're awesome. MashaAllah Banu acid up in this mug, we're finna run things, yeah. Right? Like, are you trying to teach Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala about his deen? Well wallahu ya'lamu who be shayin anim and Allah knows everything in the heavens and the earth. Here we learn something that we can take back from our Thursday classes. That diseases of the heart can be treated with Tawhid. So the idea of arrogance, I know everything, blah, blah, blah. Allah Allah knows everything. And nothing escapes his knowledge. And here is something very powerful, a very beautiful verse, especially for converts. Those people, Baru Asad, they think that because they became Muslim, they did you a favor. And sometimes we might feel that way, like, Islam needs me, Allah needs me, Iman needs me, the cause needs me. But we're not that important. And everything is from Allah's blessing. They think, like, they've done you a favor because they've accepted Islam. Sometimes the converts are like, man, you know what I'm saying, like, how lucky, mashallah, we accepted Islam, brought the Haqq to these people. It's ridiculousness, man. Like, stay humble. Right, so if the verse that talked about racial equality started the page, the middle of the page talks about spiritual equality. I hate that stuff, man. My teacher, that's why I loved him from Senegal. You never know who he was. I love that about Khalid, like, Khalid just walks around chilling. Like, eating burgers and stuff. <laughs> sugarcane sodas. I'm just saying, like, the most beautiful religious people I've ever seen are people that were extremely unassuming. And didn't have, like, an agenda, like, yo, I'm here to change the world, because the whole world sucks. <laughs> like, I hate that kind of stuff. It's like, be, be normal. Just be a person. Like, let your khair shine out. Touch people's lives. So he says, an <laughs> Like, they think they really did you a big favor, oh, Sayyidina Muhammad, because they became Muslim. Because Ben Acid was like kind of a popular track too, you know. They had a lot of Instagram followers. You know, like they were popping. Was like, man, Ben Acid became Muslim. Wow, oh, Ben Acid, okay. Like that was kind of the impact of Ben Acid becoming Muslim. But don't get it twisted because guidance is from Allah. So it says عَلَيْكَ Say to them, your Islam is not for me. Like, I don't. That's that's not. That has nothing. Like, Allah is in control of all things. You become Muslim, not Muslim, like, whatever. I'm not really in favor when people convert to, like, really have a. Like, I like people embracing them and all that, but the whole public thing, I don't know if it's very healthy, man. Like, Alhamdulillah, the person became Muslim, Allah blessed them, Allah accept you. Now we have responsibility to serve you as a community. You know, in DC, when people become Muslim, we ask like, who's gonna take them out for coffee? Who's gonna take them out for lunch? Who's gonna like talk to them about their lives? You know, look into their needs. How can we help you? How can we make you feel valued as a new Muslim? Right? Not just kind of a ritual celebration. So it says, Your your Islam is not a fadl for me. Sayyidina Muhammad, and all of us should feel that way. Prophet Muhammad's da'wah doesn't need us, Islam doesn't need us. Islam has a Lord, it'll be fine, right? So we should feel like humble, thankful, you know, sense of grace. My teacher used to say, if you memorize the Quran and you leave feeling like arrogant, then you should re memorize it again. Like what you memorize should like create, cause you to be like in the service of people. Once there was this Egyptian guy, he came to our class. Egyptians, you know, mashallah, I love Egyptians. So let me just start by saying that. <laughs> Umad-dunya, man. But Egyptians, they speak like, like everyone, like they have their own slang. So they'll be like, subhanallah al-azim, haqa al-azim qiddi, not the Persians do it too, like Persians have a thousand Zs, Daad. Za, 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 everything Za. Also in Urdu. Allah Zina Subhanallah Al Zim. So Americans we just who knows what we have yet. We're still fresh. But he was reading the Quran and he'd be like, Allah Zina, you know, SubhanAllah Alzeem. He's old, right? So I had to read Surah Nisa that day. The fourth chapter. It's hard. So he says the hardest chapter. So I was like, man, this freaking must read uncle is like taking my time, man. And I was in college back then, so I had to study. So I felt sorry for him. By Allah's grace. So Yahmy Fadda Ma it's Shwaya Bas. And sahir Zaybatak. I said, like, let's sit, man. We need to work on this Zaya, man. My teacher was teaching. Because I was being selfish. I was like, yo, if I teach him right and then he goes and reads, he'll read quicker. It wasn't like I was being a good person. Like I had an agenda. <laughs> <laughs> so, we fixed it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala akramahu wa fadlahu bi zari Allah blessed him to read it properly. So then he went and read. So then I went to read. And Then my teacher said, you know, you don't have any class today. I was like, freaking Egyptians, man. He said, "You already took your class, because what I what you learned today I can't teach you, and that's what I wanted to always see my student do is like prefer people to themselves." Like I I was like, "Yeah, exactly. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) that was my agenda the whole time. (laughs) I'm such a good person. (laughs) Kind of my class now." But he was like, "You know that that's what I want to see my students do. Like I don't want to see them, you know, treating people badly." Right, so Allah, the Prophet said, "Your Islam is not a blessing to me." So Allah, the, the Prophet, Allah says, "Wala tamunnu alayy Islamakum, but ilallah yamunnu alaykum." But Allah favored you with this. <speaking> in kuntum, an Hadakum lil imani. In kuntum salikin, but ilallah yamunnu alaykum. Allah blessed you and favored you, and hadaakum. He guided you to Islam. Imagine right now, like if it wasn't for the guidance of Allah, I wouldn't believe in Him. If it wasn't for the guidance of Allah, I wouldn't be saying, SubhanAllah. And then the verse ends, إِنَّ اللَّهَ يَعْلَمُ غَيْبِ Unseen and unknown is only to God. And Allah is aware of everything you do, subhanahu wa ta'ala. So alhamdulillah we finished Surat al-Hujurat, a few small thoughts, uh, we're going to take a break for uh, a while, we'll start again in February with surah al-Jinn, insha'Allah ta'ala. Any questions before we disperse? Yes ma'am. Regarding backlighting, uh, you, I know like, you have to uh, get forgiveness from the person as well, uh, because you need to from that person, but on that person, but then you could hurt their feelings by saying like, sure. oh I have heard such and such about you or said such and such about you." Yeah. So ideally, you know, one of the things when you realize, te- when you read text, you're like reading an I- the ideal situation. So ideally, like if you backbite someone, ideally you're supposed to go back to them and say, listen, I said all kind of ratchetness about you. Please forgive me. But Imam, even Taymiyyah makes a good point, as well as other scholars, like, what if that creates a bigger problem? You know, like, so if if I legitimately believe that Saying that may create a bigger problem than I shouldn't. You understand what I'm trying to say? Yes. So let's say I backbited this hat. Yes. This hat thought yes. I loved it. Favorite hat, loves me. Yes. And then yes. I'm like, oh I feel so bad. I have to go tell the hat I backbited. So I tell the hat, Mr. Hat, just so assume it's a person. And then after that never speaks to me again. Yes. Creates this anonymity, right? Maybe it's not a good idea. Also, it's not allowed to bagbite yourselves. Nobody ever, nobody ever asked that question. So, for example, it happens all the time, people getting married. And they ask the stupidest question you can ever ask. Tell me about your past. You didn't marry in the past. And what, what, what they mean is, like, your sinful past. I said, everyone is forgiven except those who expose themselves. First of all, it's not allowed to ask people. Secondly, you shouldn't tell them. Of course, if it's like a mental health issue or some kind of physical health issue that may impact the marriage. Right? If, for example, I had someone reach out to me and say they have herpes. Do they have to tell people? I said, of course, you have to tell people like you're potentially going to marry because you have this virus, right? Right? That's different. Um, mental health issues. Right? Uh, uh, abuse in the past sometimes can really come back to haunt a marriage. You know, those those are things that should be talked about. But like the dirt, the evil, nobody should be talking about that stuff. Asking about it. Yes, ma'am? Regarding the question she just asked about um, not telling the person, so you're saying that some of the scholars' um, advice that we should. In this case, do you, like, should we just like, make talk with a person? Like, yeah, you can, you, can, you can do, something do good that to them. Out in, in their or, something like that. or try to correct what you said to the other. The best thing is to go to the people that you said it to and be like, you know, I was wrong. What if it was like a group of people you can't get in touch with? Anymore? Make tawbah, repent to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then if it comes public, you have to come out and say, you know, oh, I made a mistake, you know, um, because now the person's been hurt publicly. Um, do charity. Hey. Speak good of them, make du'a for them. Make du'a for them is not, I mean that's easy. Already, we're already making du'a for each other. But I think like other acts of good, charity, trying to correct it if possible. And maybe you can correct it through actions like being with them. You know, maybe if I said this hat is such an evil person, no one should be his friend. And you see me hanging out with him. Oh, but that makes me look bad. Well, that's my problem. You know? You buy that CD when I go downstairs. <laughs> any, other, any other questions? So, inshallah, we'll, it, was, it was a pleasure uh, being with you guys this semester. Alhamdulillah, first time out. Please forgive me. I'm sure there's a lot of shortcomings. Um, it's been a long time since I taught, actually, so I was kind of nervous. Um, but, inshallah, we'll meet in uh, February and start Sothojin, of inshallah. Yes, sir? No, I have a, kind of a stupid question, but when... you're stupid, why are you asking? <laughs> curious. All right, so it's a curious question. It's not a stupid question. Don't be self-deprecating, man. i uh when they When I was doing the Adan on the Kaaba, which way was he facing? So that's a good question. So if you've ever been to the Kaaba... You know there's the Hutaym, right? The little white thing. And then there's the Kaaba. In that area, or inside the Kaaba, you could pray any direction. And you could face any direction, the that. I don't know what direction you that was it That's an awesome question, man. It's cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty cool. Any other? Yes? Um, so, like, w- as Muslims, like, we're, we're everywhere. Um, and. Like thinking about our role and sort of like um, things that happen in other countries, um, like people in Egypt, should they be um, like talking about police brutality in, in the U.S.? Um, like how? Because like the, there's a lot that's going on in the world, a lot of injustice that's happening, and sometimes I feel like maybe us thinking about like uh, what it means to like be active in, in your community, but what if your community is global, and what if you're like reading all the news and like. It becomes overwhelming. And then, and then maybe we don't act even in our like small community because we're just like overwhelmed. Yeah, then that means it's counterproductive. So I, I probably need to pull back, uh, you know, with the intake and increase the outtake. So you know, I, I follow what's going on overseas a little bit, um, but I found that if I like do it consistently, I just like I really start to feel horrible. Man. Um, so I, I think it's important that we focus here, with the hope of somehow those things can one day come together and be mutually beneficial. You know, like we we, we like we have to strengthen, for example, like Palestinian organizations in there. All right, we have to support Black American Muslims that are like out there in the struggle. You know, because that's like explicitly, implicitly impacting our community. Here and abroad. Look, ain't, ain't no people in Sweden getting killed like people of color. Man. Like, that's just a reality. You know, if a bunch of white people start getting killed, or under a dictator, for the most part, except for Russia, people ain't going to tolerate it. Like, that's just a reality. Right? We have to look at it that way. But we're not experiencing also colonial brutality like those people in the time of Malcolm were coming out of we're expo- experiencing, people are experiencing state brutality. So each individual state now has its own set of challenges. right? But here in America, we, we have a doozy. <laughs> you know, we, we have a, a, an opportunity 2018 to really hopefully change the, the, what's going on. Um, this new tax reform bill is insane, unless you're making $600,000 a year. Um, we, we have some very serious issues that we have to jump in uh, for the future of this country uh, and the future of our work and the good work that we're doing and then also our ability to help people overseas. I was in New Orleans two days ago. Uh, the community of New Orleans is not a big community, but like the work they've done in Somalia like it's incredible like, just targeting certain things and sponsoring certain things right. Um, there was a community in West Africa, like building wells. All they do is build wells. They have access to clean <coughs> water. So I think we have to focus here with the goal of trying to address the broader problems there, because we, we've domesticated a lot of things in the last year politically that are really unacceptable. You know, uh, and that's concerning. That we have great opportunity as a community. Our diversity as a community is like we're represented everywhere. And you know, I think six or seven millennials were elected into office um, just this last go around. That's a great thing. It's how we're reacting as a community. We have a Muslim guy running for governor in Maryland and uh, Michigan. So, you, know, you have to struggle. I encourage you guys to be involved in those things, inshallah. Any more questions, inshallah? It's a pleasure time with you all. Wa haraka wa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam